Hi, friends. Welcome to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. I'm Leona Evans, and I'm here today, as always, with my son and co-host, Matthew J. Evans. Hi. We have a really important episode today, so thank you so much for joining us. Yes, this episode involves questioning what's true and what isn't. So let's begin with a couple of questions. Is the person on the other end of our phone line really who they say they are? We really owe the IRS five years of back taxes? Is the power company really going to shut off our electricity if we don't pay them over the phone with a gift card? Well, telephone scamming has risen to an all-time high, and those of us who are not on the alert can take them seriously and find ourselves becoming victimized by our innocence. Now, in addition, there are politicians who would bend the truth to fit their personal agendas and leave us wondering what to believe or who to believe. There are salespeople and advertisements that want to convince us that their product is the best deal we could ever make for ourselves. And not only that, but there are dark and frightening conspiracy theories floating around the news and social media that generate mistrust, that cause us to fear for our safety and the safety of our country. So the big question becomes, what can we really know? How can we protect ourselves from scams, lies, and misinformation? What can we do to find out what's true? Well, there are some things that are easier to find out. In recent years, many of us have learned to check product reviews, look up if a business is credible, use sites like Consumer Reports, and websites that have unbiased evaluations of products and and fact-checking websites. I know that before you and I purchase anything, we read a whole bunch of reviews, we make sure those reviews are verified in some way, we make sure the product is refundable if something goes wrong. Basically, we do as much due diligence as we can before making any kind of purchase. Yes, we do, and that takes a lot of risk out of the process. But what about the more complex issues? Sometimes we find that The more fact-checking we try to do, the more confused we become because there seem to be facts on both sides of the question. So how can we be reasonably confident that we're drawing the right conclusions and making wise decisions? Well, in today's episode, we're going to take a look at how and why we make decisions and what we can do to make the wisest, most objective, and most intuitive decisions so that we lessen the stress of confusion and indecision. There's a lot of stress that's caused by this sea of information. We might not even realize how stressful that might be on us. We need to change the way we see things and process things and be aware of how that can help us. Even though we can't control the amount of information that's around us, we can take a look at the way we perceive and process that information, which can give us more clarity and insight. And so, I respectfully challenge each of us to get off our affirmation and use our cognitive and intuitive skills to determine what is fact and what is fiction. The need to know, and to know as truthfully and accurately as possible, has been a question for a very long time. And in the area of philosophy, it has its own category. It's called epistemology, which is defined as the area of philosophy concerned with understanding the nature of knowledge and belief and how to investigate and justify knowledge claims. Of course, as a rule, most of us think of ourselves as knowledgeable. And we often see those who disagree with us as misguided. We get it. They don't. 
and we think our job is to point out the flaws in their thinking rather than engage in open and collaborative dialogue. That's really true. When I hear someone saying something that I think is untrue, my first instinct is to try and point out the flaw. I know I'm right, therefore it's my job to defend that. And if I'm not careful, the whole thing can devolve into right fighting. There's so much emotional tension that rides on these situations, it almost feels like it can become a boxing match. The two of us in the situation trading blows, trying to get the other person to back down or hopefully inspire other people to come to our aid and dogpile on the other person. At the end of the day, the original issue was kind of lost because it's entirely about our own need to be right. Yes, it is about us. A lot of it is about us. And if we're able to change our perception about how we approach these issues, we will find that we can get the information we need with a lot less stress. What we don't understand is how many preconceived ideas we have that influence our thinking. In other words, many of our opinions about the way things are come from what we already believe, so we tend to dismiss or automatically reject new information. Now, we're going to talk about those cognitive biases and work on clearing our minds to be open to more effective ways of evaluating information. The first step is we need to be open to the fact that at any given time, we might be incorrect in our assumptions. If we're unwilling to face our own human fallibility, we can easily fall victim to what's known as confirmation bias, where we end up only seeking out information that aligns with our own beliefs. This is really important because very often this happens unconsciously. Confirmation bias can be defined as paying attention to the information that upholds what we believe to be true and ignoring the information that challenges what we believe to be true. Now, the biggest problem with confirmation bias is that it prevents us from looking at situations objectively, and it also influences the decisions we make, which often lead to poor or faulty choices. For example, a mom has two 10-year-old children. One of them is really exuberant and is usually misbehaving, while the other one tends to stay out of trouble and is really quiet. Now, one day the mom hears a crash in the living room and runs in to find that an expensive plate of hers has been broken. Immediately, she'll assume that the child who gets into trouble more frequently is the one who's at fault. In fact, even if the other child confesses that they're the one that did it, she will more than likely think that the child is covering up for the guilty sibling. So, there's a prevalent belief that past behavior determines present behavior. Now, even though past behavior is often an indication of present behavior, it's not always true. So, we really need to be diligent in evaluating the facts of the situation before we make assumptions and jump to conclusions that can really be harmful. When we get wrapped up in confirmation bias, we can miss important information. There have been studies that show that confirmation bias even affects a doctor's diagnosis. If a particular doctor suspects an illness in the patient, they will ask questions and look for evidence that confirms that initial assumption while overlooking evidence that might disprove it. Well, yes, I actually have an example of that in my own life. 
for years, I suffered from serious gastrointestinal pain. And every time I went to a doctor, no matter what city I was in, no matter where I was, they would give me the same advice. Take over-the-counter remedies. So many people suffer from the same issues. And if you drink enough water, it'll be fine. I would leave the office. I would take the -the over-the-counter remedies. I would not find relief. Things would get worse and worse. And again, the same story was repeated with different doctors over the years until some 30 years later, I was finally diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is not healed or cured by over-the-counter remedies, nor is it affected by how much water you drink. In fact, it was actually being exacerbated by the -the over-the-counter remedies that you were taking. That is true. That's very true. Now, I just want to say I have great respect for doctors as a rule, and I do have an understanding of how this confirmation bias can take place. After all, I would think that the majority of people who go to a gastroenterologist's office and complain of abdominal cramps would be immensely benefited from taking fiber and drinking more water. And so they would assume that when I walked into the office, I would benefit from the same advice. The fact is that over the years, I heard that advice so many times that finally, the last visit I had to it, gastroenterologist's office, I simply said, do not recommend water or fiber. I have tried that for years. It doesn't work. We've got to go a different route. And that opened the door to the diagnosis of Crohn's, which in fact is a bowel blockage. Now I have a low fiber diet and I am thrilled with the results of that. But confirmation bias happens in all professions. It happens in all walks of life. We go on past experience to decide present situations. Many times it works, but there are times, really important times, when it doesn't. And it's incumbent upon us to not make assumptions, to evaluate each situation, to be in the present moment, and to really be clear that what's happening today is not necessarily a rubber stamp of what happened before. Another aspect of confirmation bias is stereotyping, isn't it? We're more likely to remember stereotype-consistent information, which is one way stereotypes are maintained. Some really important examples we need to look at involve racial stereotyping and the issues that minority groups have been facing for years. Throughout history, people will assume that one group or another are criminals or less desirable citizens. And having this bias in mind, every time someone from that group does something negative, that immediately calls to mind the stereotypes, and someone will say, see, I knew they were all bad, I knew they were all no good, and make blanket judgments about everyone from a group based on the actions of a few individuals. Conversely, if someone from a group that isn't associated with stereotypes commits a crime or does something wrong, the judgment might be, oh, well, that's one individual. Unfortunately, these beliefs often remain in people's minds even after being shown statistics that disprove their prejudice stereotyping. Yes, 
And one of the biggest challenges in discussing confirmation bias or stereotyping is that most of us will believe we don't do that. We couldn't be those people. We're not racist or biased in any way. We can't go there. We can't admit it. But sharing this information, what we're doing right now, is not intended to be an insult or to diminish any of us in any way. If we can just accept the possibility that most of the time, human beings are operating under confirmation bias, we can make a conscious effort to evaluate the facts of any given situation as thoroughly as possible. And a simple internal recognition that we might possibly be influenced by confirmation bias will release a level of resistance inside of us that allows us to become more willing to explore other points of view. Remember, the point of all this is not whether we're right or wrong, but how we can learn things that can be of value to us. We can know more about a situation that's happening now that's not influenced by prior information or prior bias. Now, let's talk about cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions are ways that our mind convinces us of things that aren't really true. Distortions are the result of illogical, inaccurate, and unbalanced perceptions. Distortions have their basis in emotional insecurity and are not the result of rational thinking. Everyone has cognitive distortions to one degree or another, They're a product of our inner critic, which is the harsh and unrelenting authority figure in our consciousness. It's really important that we identify whatever cognitive distortions we have in our own consciousness so that not only are we more accepting of others, but are able to become more open to approaching information gathering from a more logical perspective. One of the most common cognitive distortions is called filtering, where we tend to magnify negative details while filtering out the positive. For example, no matter how much praise we might receive for an accomplishment, if even one person makes a mildly negative comment, we will fixate on that one comment and completely devalue all the praise. Now, let's take an example if we're in a business meeting. Uh, Someone might come in and make a powerful and positive presentation about a proposed action and mention one small example of a less than positive outcome. Suddenly, we latch on to that insignificant failure and become closed to possibilities of a successful outcome. This is an example of how even when the facts show that the vast majority of the outcomes are positive, We can't get past the belief that the idea is no good because our cognitive distortion has prevented us from seeing the bigger picture in a rational way. In other words, our decision-making process is going to be severely limited by our distorted thinking. We will distort what is true because of the filter through which we're seeing it. So here are some tools to help us work through this cognitive distortion. We need to carefully write down the facts as they were presented to us, check those facts for accuracy, recognize that the positives far outweigh the negatives, and begin a process of letting go of the tendency to distort the greater reality. 
Another example of a cognitive distortion is polarized thinking. With this type of distortion, there's no middle ground. It's either all or nothing. In our personal life, this way of thinking can cause us to be rigid and unyielding. In our interactions with others, we become unable to see shades of gray and insist on being 100% right and making the other person 100% wrong. So instead of having an easygoing conversation or a debate over ideas, we become compelled to make the other person wrong because that's the only option we've given ourselves. If we're not 100% right, then we have to be 100% wrong. In order to accomplish this, we then have to distort the facts because seldom is anything all right or all wrong. In order to work through this cognitive distortion, we need to learn to objectify our conversations and leave our feelings on the back burner. We need to realize that our distorted perceptions are getting in the way of our rational decision-making, and we need to approach our conversations from a cerebral, rational perspective. As difficult as this might be at first, as we continue to practice this technique of gently moving our fears and self-doubts to the side, we become more accustomed to dealing in facts and opening ourselves to nuances and higher forms of analyzing the issues. Another cognitive distortion is called personalization. This is when we believe that everything others do or say is directed specifically at us. We literally take everything personally even when it's not meant that way. At a personal level, we can become paranoid, believing that people are thinking or talking about us all the time. We will spend our time comparing ourselves with others and competing with them, and it leaves us with no opportunity to understand what's really happening in our world. In our relations with others, we're in no position to evaluate a situation correctly because we've made it all about us, and the facts take a secondary position. Now, in order to work through this cognitive distortion, we need to visualize removing ourselves from the conversation and evaluating it as though we were an impartial observer. Again, this takes discipline. The only thing that makes the process any easier is the understanding that we all have some cognitive distortions to a greater or lesser degree. And if we're ever going to get accurate information, we need to work really hard at cleaning the filter of our own consciousness and taking responsibility for the way we see things. Now, the last cognitive distortion we'll deal with is control fallacies. This is when we either hold ourselves responsible for things that are beyond our control or believe we have absolutely no control over anything. This control fallacy keeps us from examining the facts of a situation because we become self-absorbed with how we can fix or change things, or we're afraid that we can't fix or change anything at all. Now, in order to work through this cognitive distortion, we need to let go of the belief that we have to change or control or fix anything, and focus on what we need to learn to help us draw sound and rational conclusions. Again, it's a process of removing ourselves and our feelings from the center of focus and allowing ourselves to relax and think about the facts at hand. So, 
Let's talk about some techniques that we can implement to support our decision-making process. Well, the first thing we can do is gather the facts as they've been presented to us and put them on a list. Then what we need to do is check those facts with a reliable and impartial fact-checking source. Snopes, S-N-O-P-E-S dot com, has been around for years, and it's widely regarded for its accuracy and impartial reporting of information. One of the things that I really like about Snopes is that they have articles on a wide variety of topics, from political stories to science news to the latest chain letter or internet rumor. Someone at that website has looked into it and found the most credible information possible on the topic. And then we need to make sure that we effectively evaluate our other options. For example, if you're trying to decide between two political candidates, go directly to their website and look at the positions and examine their claims. However, don't just take their word for it straight off. I recommend going to a place called factcheck.org. It's very similar to Snopes, but they tend to focus primarily on political candidates and public figures. They analyze the statements of people all across the political spectrum, so no matter who you're interested in looking up, there will definitely be information available. Now, is this going to take more work than we're usually used to doing or that maybe even we want to do? Well, it probably will. But the benefits are so rewarding. We have an opportunity to take a look at situations and ideas that we have formerly found confusing or that have been overwhelming or that we haven't understood how to deal with and really get an objective and clear look on what it is that we're dealing with. We are able to better converse with others. We are better able to understand where they're coming from because we've had an opportunity to research not only our position, but the opposing position as well. We then have an opportunity to realize that because we feel more knowledgeable, we feel more peaceful. We feel more understanding. We feel less overwhelmed because we have removed some of the filters of our own misperceptions, and we have also taken the situations and analyzed them and checked them and worked with them so that we can feel more secure about what we say and what we think. Another important technique that has tremendous benefits would be a meditation discipline, an opportunity to become quiet, to relax, to understand that there's a power within us that is greater than any situation, that infuses us with wisdom, that gives us a foundation of love, and allows us to approach situations in life from a greater place of poise and equanimity. And so, once again, I respectfully challenge all of us to get off our affirmation and use our cognitive and intuitive skills to determine what is fact and what is fiction. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. Please connect with us on our Facebook page, subscribe to the podcast on our website, getoffyouraffirmation.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We really look forward to hearing from you and getting your feedback on how you are taking these actions in your own life. Thanks again so much for listening. Have a wonderful week. You deserve it.